can every school succeed? That's a big question. And I'm not sure about the answer. I do know that every school can get better. Is that enough? Again, I don't know. But I do know someone who knows. And he's our guest on today's show. Hello, colleagues, and welcome to the Assistant Principal Podcast. I'm your host, Frederick Buskey. The goal of this podcast is to help improve the life and leadership of assistant principals. This podcast complements Quadrant 2, our free bi-monthly microjournal, and you can find a subscription link in the show notes or go to frederickbuskey.com backslash quadrant two. Today, I'm joined by Dr. David Franklin, the district strategy consultant for Nearpod. David is here with us today to share how to help your school succeed. Hello, David. Hello. How are you doing today? Ah, I'm great. And I'm so excited to have you on for multiple reasons. But I just want to let listeners know that I first came across your work in Facebook. And confession, I'm not really a huge Facebook fan. But <laughs> I noticed that you have a tremendous community of school administrators and school leaders um, on a community called the Principal's Desk, which I'll encourage listeners to go and check out. Um, can you tell us a bit about that group in particular, and then also kind of your journey to forming that group and then where you are today? Yeah, yeah. I think actually I can probably explain the group uh, by kind of talking just a little bit about my journey first and, and get into it because it, it all kind of builds up to the group. But um, I, was a, I was a teacher and a principal for 15 years uh, in California public schools. Uh, I was a music teacher, middle school music teacher, and loved my job. And um, I was encouraged to uh, to get into administration. And so I, I kind of tossed my hat in the ring, got my master's, and said, "Okay, let's let's see what happens." And at 27 years old, I got I got the call to be an assistant principal. Uh, so I moved from Southern California to Northern California. Uh, I went from a kind of a high income school to a uh, a school in a kind of a difficult neighborhood where uh, just a lot of crime, a lot of gang uh, involvement, uh, poverty, and kids going through a lot of different things and kind of got thrust into this. Um, I spent one year as an assistant principal there, learned a ton under my principal, uh, who had been a veteran for about 25, 30 years. She left to go to the district office. And then all of a sudden, at 28 years old, I was asked to become the principal of that same school. And I was terrified and like I made every mistake in the book multiple times. I didn't learn from my mistakes. I didn't even know I was making them until I made it two or three times, but we had a good run there. I was there for five years total. And, and we, we did a lot with school culture, a lot with student academic achievement. Um, but after about five years, I did move to uh, an elementary school a little closer to home. Because uh, I had I had little ones at the time and uh, wanted to get some elementary experience in there as well. I was there for five years. We became a California Distinguished School for the first time in the school's history. Um, and then I've, I, I seem to do everything in five-year chunks is what I do. So I was there for five years. And then I moved on to higher ed, professor of education uh, for three years total full-time. Uh, I've been an adjunct professor now for 12 years, but full-time for three years and decided to get into more consulting uh, roles here. I joined up with uh, Dr. Robert Marzano. Uh, so I'm an associate of his. Uh, and so I have delivered professional development around the country uh, for for him. And uh, I worked for uh, EdTech Startup uh, for about a year before moving into my role at Nearpod as a district strategy consultant. So I get to work 
schools and teachers around the world uh, and just developing their use of instructional technology and really enhancing student engagement. Around the time I left my principalship is when I started the principal's desk Facebook group. I wasn't on Facebook. Uh, like yourself, wasn't a huge user. I didn't really want to find people from my high school. I had just had no desire to doing that. Um, but I got on Facebook and I wanted a place where I could actually post the things that I was starting to write. So I started a blog called The Principal's Desk. And uh, I was posting a couple of different groups. And I was like, yeah, I'll create my own. That way I can post whatever I want in there. It built, it built very slowly. I had maybe a couple hundred for a year uh, and then went up to maybe a couple thousand. And uh, right around 2020 is when this boom hit. And I watched it go from just a couple thousand to 50,000 to 75,000. It seemed like overnight. And uh, right now, as of, I haven't actually checked it today, but as of yesterday, 203,000 educators from around the world. We represent about 209 countries around the world. And um, this amazing group, uh, it's like a think tank of different educators asking questions, providing feedback, best practices. Uh, it's just an amazing group where anyone can say, hey, I've got this question. And then within 10 minutes, you have you know 50 responses and you know, pick the one you want to go with. Um, so it's been, uh, it's been a journey for sure. Awesome. Well, and what I love about your journey is just the variety of experiences. And I think that's one thing that's really important for school leaders is to learn, to be able to take those different perspectives. And so you having that, um, I think it was high school and, and then also elementary and different parts of the state for people that don't know mm -hmm. California, different parts of the state are vastly different from each other. And then yes. dabbling in higher ed and then having all that consulting stuff um, going on. So yeah. what a great variety of experiences. So yeah, I feel very lucky just to be able to just work with different educators and different things. It's been, uh, it's been great. I, I've learned a lot from all them over the years too. I think that's the secret. That's what I always say. I don't know if I have any original thoughts. I just steal from the smartest, <laughs> best people I can find. Same thing. So we Same like to thing. begin with celebrations. What are you celebrating today? Oh, well, uh, as we were talking about offline, <laughs> uh, I have, you know, haven't had a voice for a few days. And so um, doing these podcasts, I did one the other day, finally, after about a week of not being able to speak. And um, I just really enjoy the conversations. And so like I'm celebrating that and then also celebrating um Something I was doing actually last night, um, I do have a new book coming out and uh, I was working on uh, artwork for it last night, which is the the fun and, and more scary thing for me because picking colors is something I'm not good at. And so, but I've got a great team. And so, uh, but that was fun. So uh, I've got some really, really exciting things on the horizon. So excited about that, celebrating that. Cool. Artwork versus editing. I think artwork would be clear. Oh, for sure. Oh, <laughs> the editing process is no fun, but uh, important nonetheless. So listeners of the podcast, hear me preach. Better teachers equals better schools. And you have a book out entitled, Can Every School Succeed? Mm -hmm. And I think the book is really a roadmap to school improvement. So mm -hmm. can you give listeners an overview of that roadmap and mm -hmm. then we'll dive deeper into the role of the assistant principal and the role of teacher development in school success. Yeah. So uh, Can Every School Succeed uh, came out, uh, wow, it's uh, it's been almost five years, I believe. Um, and it's been uh, 
that book was an amazing journey. I wrote it with uh, two superintendents in Kentucky and uh, Jason Bacon and um, Brian Creaseman. And uh, it's, it's, it is a roadmap. It's eight steps to school improvement. And I guess just to get kind of the nuts and bolts there, it really has to do with school culture. And like you just said, great schools have great teachers. You want to have great teachers, you got to have a great school culture. And so this really helps school leaders and just anybody in general just understand what that could look like and some of the issues that are roadblocks to positive school culture. Um, you know, great teachers equal happy teachers. And I've written about this. Happy teachers are great instructors. Great instructors get through to kids. And I've worked with some amazing teachers over the years and I've worked with some teachers that were struggling to find their place and they had bogged down in a lot of negativity and when we were able to break through that kind of see the forest through the trees a little bit you just saw everything change within their instruction and you just saw everything in their classroom change and teachers were happier kids were happier parents were happier and that leads to things you know things like increased daily attendance decreased student disciplinary issues. And, um, you know, again, eight simple steps, practical steps in that book that uh, kind of lead you through it. And uh, in there, I also share out some real life experiences that I had over over the years, you know, and, um, you know, things that I look back on and I, I laugh now, but I remember in the time, in the moment, these were, these were tough things to deal with. But um, I want everyone to learn from my successes and also my mistakes as well. Cause I, again, I made every mistake in the book multiple times. Yeah. It's, uh, it's learning from the mistakes I think is really where the key is because mm -hmm. that that's when you grow, when you're successful, you don't reflect on it and learn right. from it, but when you fail. <laughs> oh, and I failed hard and I've had some, some real deep reflections and you're right. I mean, out of that came some learning for me, and again, thinking about positive school cultures, you have to be in a position where it's okay to fail in front of everybody. Because if you can't do that, like there, there's a culture issue. But I I went back many times to my different stakeholders to say, I got that wrong. This is what happened. And but we were okay because my heart was in the right place. I was trying to better something and we took the wrong path, but hey, let's course correct. And then the next time we did it, most of the time, it was a lot better. Yeah. And in explaining that, I'm imagining that you had already created a culture of transparency and honesty. So you're able to say, whoa, okay, I got that one wrong. What do we need to do? And people know that that's, that's sincere. And then you can do that, mm -hmm. of course, correct. So I, I guess I don't want to steer us off course. Do you want to just kind of hit on those eight steps? And then maybe we start to talk about where assistant principals really fit into some of that? Yeah, yeah. So just to kind of get it back down, um, a lot of it is, uh, it's transparency. I mean, that is a theme throughout the book. Transparency, uh, instructional leadership, um, communication with stakeholders. I mean, those are kind of the large tenets that are in there. And um, when you go into a lot of schools, uh, transparency is something that's lacking. And the schools that I took over as principal, um, I, I think I can look back and say previous administration maybe didn't have the best open door policies. And so educating current and future administrators, how do you create that notion of transparency without, you know, 
without having that fear behind it of, oh, well, now everyone can see everything that I've done wrong. That's okay. You know, um, we're not, educators are not, um, we're, we're not operating on someone. We're not brain surgeons. You know, you don't want to make that mistake, you know, when you're operating from someone. For us, we're dealing with intangibles so often and we're dealing with feelings. And these are things that uh, there's no, there's no uh, manual for kids. You know, I'd be so much of a better parent if my kid came with a manual, but they didn't. And so being able to kind of work through that and uh, have that culture transparency, um, but also be able to, to, to not just talk the talk, but walk the walk, be able to get into classrooms, be able to be an instructional leader, be able to make, um, to give really constructive feedback that leads to growth. Um, when we, a lot of times when we talk about you know, evaluations and observations, there's a stigma to it. And so I always started every, every evaluation cycle, every observation cycle was saying, Hey, I'm here to highlight every great thing that you're doing. And that really just kind of set the tone. You could see like teachers who were nervous about it, just their guard went down like, Oh, this is a positive thing. I'm like, absolutely. If there's any sort of issue, we've already discussed it. So don't, I don't want you freaking out. Because I freaked out when my principal came into my classroom. It was a terrifying experience. So I was in classrooms all the time. It was one of those like, oh, it's it's Davidson here again. And the kids finally used to it too. And I was just there. So you're visible, you're communicating with everyone, you're transparent, you're creating this great culture. Um, but at the same time, you're that instructional leader on top of everything and, and guiding the school forward. So it kind of takes you through those steps. And um, at the end of it, um, hopefully you're, you're, your outlook is a little brighter than it was at the beginning. Yeah. All right. Well, that sounds good. Let's dig a little bit deeper. When this episode is going to air, I think the third or fourth week of November, and the, the two episodes prior to this are about what I refer to as the flywheel. And the flywheel is, is that kind of the foundational structures and practices that drive teacher development. And mm -hmm. so you've talked about the importance of instructional feedback. You've talked about the importance of being in classrooms. Those things don't happen without intentionality and they mm -hmm. don't happen without building some systems. Yep. So for leaders out there that are finding themselves saying, ah, oh, I, I can't get into classrooms. I want, I know I need to get into classrooms more. And and who then we want to get them into classrooms and then providing positive feedback and building that cycle where that's, mm -hmm. that becomes common. What are two or three of the keys you think for them to, to get themselves to the point where they can be in those classrooms doing the instructional leadership stuff? Absolutely. That is the number one issue I hear is I don't have enough time. I'm too busy. So what I used to do, and what I, I tell my students now, I tell you know folks that I do consult with, lock it on your calendar. And you know, principals typically share their calendars with their office staff. I used to block it on my calendar. It's a classroom observations. Um, and I told my office staff, do not um, book any appointments during those times. And it would be like a two-hour chunk every day. And um, the other thing I said was, because um, you know, administrators carry around radios, walkie-talkie, I said, I'm going to turn off my radio when I'm on my classroom observations. If there is an emergency, like the school is on fire, <laughs> or I have a, or there's a serious injury, or like a true emergency, text me. 
And because that it's so easy just to call someone on the walkie-talkie. It's like, you know, there's an issue in the lunchroom. We ran out of pizza. I'm in the classroom. Um, so that usually set the stage for it. And again, I countered it out. And I did have some parents. The first year I did this, I had some parents who I found out were a little upset with me because I came down to the school and, you know, I was told he wasn't available. I had to work through that. But then they learned, call ahead, <laughs> don't just show up, call ahead. And that time is sacred to me. My staff knew that too. Um, so we worked around it. So again, we were educating parents at the same time. And, and I wanted them to know, hey, being in classrooms is something super important for me. And I want the best education for your kids. And for me to ensure that, for me to provide feedback and to be there for my teachers, I need to be in classrooms. I'm not going to sit in my office all day long. I will absolutely meet with you, just not during that time. I can give you a call. We can schedule another time. And so it took about a year for everyone to realize that, oh, he's he's really not going to come back to the office. Um, and my office staff, they, they took some hits too. I would buy them coffee every time that happened. And uh, we worked through it. So, I mean, there's some tangible things that you can do, but you, you make that time sacred. It's the same thing I say about like PLC time. Like it is sacred. You do not mess with it. My classroom on face time, sacred. And the other thing, the other tangible thing to do once you're in the classrooms is you leave a positive post-it note behind. I don't care if it was the worst classroom observation you've ever done. Like you, you find the one thing, you had some nice work on the uh, classroom work on the walls. Bang, post a note on, you know, you never leave something negative, always a positive. And that again, helps to bring that fear down from teachers who are not used to you doing this. And they're going to be scared about that post a note the first time. Like, what did he put on there? Like, what did I do wrong? Oh, he liked, you know, the discussion I was leading. Teachers then talk about that in the lunchroom. And that spreads. That's that positive culture that you want to spread. One of the things I really want to draw attention to and what you were talking about was that that by blocking the classroom observation period, that's not a time management strategy. That's a priority management strategy. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's one of the keys for moving from that zone of urgent leadership to being able to be strategic leadership oh, yeah. is that we stop focusing on time and we start focusing on priorities. So I love that. Yes. I love that tip for people. Mm -hmm. The other thing that you did was you started to condition and teach the people around you. And, and I've heard just what you talked about, about parents coming in and being upset, getting called out of the classrooms. There is some education to do on the front end. And, mm -hmm. and then continually through as, as you do implementation. But it is that, that issue of helping educate people about what the most important priority is. You know, I can be meeting, I can be pulled out of the classroom and meet with you as a parent anytime, or I can be in helping your kid's teacher become better and stronger, right? Exactly. So two weeks down the road, we don't have to meet. Um, oh, exactly. And, and also conditioning people on how to get in touch with you because that's another one of the things that we often don't do well. We have all these intrusions of beeps, pop-ups, messages, calls. And so for us to start to manage the communications in a way that's really intentional and that again, reflects our priorities mm -hmm. is really critical. So those are fun things to share. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing too is when you get into classrooms and you make that time a priority, kids go home and tell their parents, guess who was in my classroom today? That's big. I ask my own personal kids all the time, the principal pop into your classroom? Uh, no, they don't know who the person, they don't know who he is. 
And so I'm like, oh, okay. And um, that's so important because I would have parents come back later on, back to school night, open house night, whatever, be like, my kid says you're in their classroom all the time. Yeah, I am. I can tell you what they're working on. That's important. That shows that I am there for the right thing. I'm not just sitting in my office writing emails. Yeah. Can we go deeper into the idea of building trust? Mm -hmm. So I'd like to think about some of the key practices for that. Um, One, you've talked about being transparent about why you're in the room. That's Mm -hmm. one of the things I advocate too. I, I think we we have a problem with the language around observation, because if I say I'm doing an observation, I don't even know what that means. Beyond you being in my right. room, I don't know what that means and I don't know what to expect. And so I really push this idea of different kinds, four patterns of observation, but one of them being performative. So performative observation, I'm going to your performance for my enjoyment, for me to learn, not to help mm-hmm. me become a better teacher. And so if teachers know if we can use that language that we're out doing performative observations, they know it's not about them. It's about us just trying to, to learn and understand better what's happening mm-hmm. in the school. Um, so you talked about frequency and you also then talked about leaving that positive note because we don't have to be correcting and trying to teach people all the time, right? It's showing right. up. So those are two things to building trust. What are some other key practices, especially for assistant principals to build that trust with teachers? Assistant principals, um, and I'm going to generalize here uh, for a moment. A lot of what the assistant principals do is there there is a lot of uh, um, student discipline management that that gets put on the assistant principal's shoulders. And I I went through this, and it it can be very, very challenging. Um, Follow through is extremely important uh, to teachers. And you know, the, the notion of, you know, discipline and consequences for kids, it's a touchy subject um, because everyone has their own opinions on what is best for, for the teacher, for the child, for the school as a whole. Um, what I recommend is, uh, and most schools and districts have these, if you don't, I recommend you work together with your whole school and, and create one of these is, is a matrix. You know, this happens and these are like the different consequences in order uh, of like, you know, how many times it occurs. Um, Again, a lot of districts have this already. And so what we did was have a lot of professional development around this. And we did follow this very, very closely. And so teachers knew that we're here on this. David's going to follow through what's what's on there. Did I always agree with it? Maybe, maybe not, but it was important that the teachers trusted me in the process. That's where a lot of headbutting happens is like, oh, you just sent the kid back to me. And that's, I'm I'm oversimplifying it, but that's the teacher's perception of it. And that's where things go haywire. So following that disciplinary matrix, but also getting into the root of the problem and following up. It's following up because a lot of times what I found is that the problem could be corrected in the classroom by working together. It wasn't always just the kid. And sometimes it was. And I, as a teacher, sometimes it was. A lot of times it was me. And I didn't know that till later on. But there's, that's where that trust thing comes into because that's a difficult conversation to have. Um, but there have been times, you know, in my career, I, I'm not necessarily proud of this, but it's part of my history. I suspended a lot of kids. I expelled a lot of kids and I was following our matrix uh, for a district here. And I'm not happy about those things. And I think about those kids all the time. And I think about if I intervened earlier on, could we have prevented some of these things? And and, uh, I I don't know, 
You know, I'd like to think that I would have a lot of power at my school. Chances are probably, probably not, but it's, it's that follow through, but then also bettering everyone around you. I think that is super important in building trust um, because that will spread in the lunchroom, you know, soft on discipline, soft on this. It's, it's, it's a, it's a slippery slope. You got to play both sides of it. But, you know, uh, my line was always, I want to do what's in the best interest of the kid. And you yeah. can't argue with that statement. No. So, so David, you're, you're a poster child for strategic leadership, because we talk about strategic leadership as the first thing is that we focus on, on purpose and what's important and not urgent. And you already yeah. talked about, right. Managing your priorities and blocking things off. Yeah. Uh, we focus on solving problems instead of just treating symptoms. And you just hit that. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's, that's so essential for assistant principals to get out of that cycle of urgency is to realize, whoa, I've gotten four kids this week from this classroom at this same point in time, what's going on here. And, and then you get in the classroom and then you figure out what that root problem is. Mm -hmm. And then you can go to the, the fourth principle of strategic leadership, which is focus on the, on the person, not the task and help that print, help that teacher grow so that they're yeah. they are happy, they're enjoying their teaching, and you don't have all those discipline problems. Right, kids are learning. And then a lot of what I like to say too is, to, you know, we want to be clinical, not critical. And so, if we can identify the problem, we can also help to address the issue as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, wow. I think we put a lot of different stuff out there. Let's start to kind of bring it together. Um, if you had maybe three, when we're talking about culture specifically, what three pieces of advice do you have for assistant principals? Ah, uh, wow. Three. Well, you <laughs> can go like two a, or five too. I know. I, I mean, it's, 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 in one way it's hard to do, you know, to find three and then others it's hard to like, you know, pare it down to three. But uh, as far as culture goes, get out there, you know, get out of your office, um, I played a lot of basketball as an assistant principal. You know, I was out there during lunchtime, out there. I went down at PE, played a lot of basketball, got to learn a lot about kids. And I picked PE. I like basketball. Uh, but also, um, PE teachers don't get a lot of love. And my PE teachers were down on the back 40 where the locker rooms were. And I remember them saying, no one really ever comes down here. I'm like, I'm going to come down and play basketball like every day with your kids, if that's okay with you. And they liked it because I was another adult that was down there supervising. But at the same time, I was building relationships with them. I was building a relationship with the kids. So get out there. Uh, be visible. Um, that helps to build it. Um, dismissal time and uh, drop-off time. Don't be in your office. Be outside. Let the parents see you. Let the kids see you. Say hello. Um, when I go into uh, – when I, when I do school observations, uh, I tell folks – you walk onto school campus, you can feel the culture. You can sense it from the moment you step on campus. No one has to say anything to you. You can just feel it. And I always look around. Are people happy? Are they smiling? Are they greeting each other, saying hello? Those are all really important things. If they're doing that, my day is going to go great. Mm. If it's not, I'm like, okay, we got our work cut out for us. So be visible in those in those current spots. And then that follow through is just so important. Uh, you know, it's when you leave the, uh, you know, your classroom role and you become an assistant principal, um, it's, it's, you're, you're trying to figure out like, what is my life as an educator outside of the classroom? It, I remember going through like, wait a minute, like, I don't have like a, my bell schedule. It's different. It's weird. 
don't get sucked into that, you know, like figure out your role, be in classrooms, you know, uh, talk to parents, be at sporting events, just get out there, be visible. That helps to build culture. There's nothing worse than, you know, your, your school community saying, I don't, I don't, where's David? He's never here. What is he doing? Um, so get out there, be strategic, uh, have those great conversations with teachers and, uh, you know, have your, have your eye on kind of what's next as well. You know, hopefully you're with a great principal who can show you the ropes. Uh, I was with an amazing principal who she threw me into every possible situation. Uh, and then I tried to do the same with my assistant principals. I was like, let's have you do all these things. And they're looking at me going, I'm not ready for this. And I would go back to them and say, I wasn't ready for it either. But guess what? You're running that IEP. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're going to be in there. So have those experiences, learn from them, talk about them and uh, have some fun too. <laughs> you know, in some ways the job is complex, but in other ways, it, it really is simple. Be present, be present cool. and listen to people and engage with people, respect people and care for people. And, and that's, that's that foundation. Yeah. It, it's, I, I do think it's that simple. Now it's super hard to execute because of all the other stuff that's happening. It's hard, 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 it's hard, but the basic strategies are simple. It's connect to people, be present and listen. And yeah. from there, then they will tell you what they need. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and there's going to be hard, hard situations to deal with. And, and you know, I said before, I, I, I've expelled my fair share of students and they were for reasons that I could not work around. It just, it, it is what it is. Um, what I can say at those hearings that we held, the vast majority of the times the parents and I, we understood each other and I felt, I felt for them. They understood where I was coming from. And that was really important because I was recommending a, a very traumatic thing, which again, like that's a part of the job. There's a process, but at the same time they respected and understood. And they would, for the vast majority of the time, they would come back after the hearings and say like, say, Dr. Franklin, like, thank you so much for working with our child. Like we've got some more work to do, but we, we, we understand and appreciate it. And that just tells you that culture piece is there. Yeah. When, and big tip, people don't always have to win their arguments, but they want to be respected and understood. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. As we wrap up, I have three questions for you. And the first one is what part of your own leadership are you still trying to get better at? Wow, uh, all of it, but I would say keeping up with uh, current instructional practices that keep changing, our, our world keeps changing because kids keep changing. And so uh, when I'm recommending a strategy, I want to make sure that uh, the research states that these are the best strategies. And that does change over time because kids have changed over time. And so uh, I'm always working on that. I'm always reading reading blogs, reading articles, going to conferences, learning, um, learning more about that and staying on on, on the cusp of uh, what's, what's the best right now. Excellent. And number two, if listeners could take away just one thing from today's podcast, what would it be? I think you said it a couple of times, but uh, be present, be visible, you know, be out there. You do not want to be the invisible assistant principal. You want to be very visible. You want kids going home saying, you know, my, you know, my, you know, Mr. Smith or, you know, Mrs. Jones was in my class today. And that to be an, a, a common occurrence um, because it's not in so many schools. And if you want to stand out and you want to be that, like that superhero assistant principal, that's how you do it. Yeah. 
great advice. Great advice. All right. Anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners? You know, uh, um, the journey is difficult. The journey is hard. You're going to have good days, bad days. Uh, the best thing that you can do here is uh, just surround yourself with people that you can talk to. Being an administrator can be a very, very lonely job um, because there are things you cannot talk to the general staff with, um, confidential and different things. So have that support system. And that's, again, going back to the principal's desk Facebook group. Um, I have folks post in there anonymously all the time. And then all of a sudden, you know, I check it like an hour later, 50 responses on how to deal with the situation or just words of encouragement. And people will message me all the time and say, that's just what I needed. I just needed to hear that everything was going to be okay. I remember getting emotional coming home. I had horrible days and I had no one to talk to. I wasn't on Facebook at the time. My wife could only do so much. She's not an educator, so she didn't understand everything I was going through. So have that support group. If the principal's desk can do that for you, uh, check us out on Facebook. Uh, you can always message me, you know, um, and I'll, I'll, you know, happy to help you out uh, any way that I can, or just go to theprincipalsdesk.org and uh, you can find me there as well. We offer a variety of professional development services and, and just advice and, and different things to help you out. So please let us know what we can do for you on your journey. Yeah, that's so important. Most most leaders have pretty good opportunities for professional development, but the opportunity for professional community can be really mm -hmm. limited. So again, I, hats off, and I appreciate what you're doing there at the principal's desk. Uh, and I know you've you've had several books, and and you've got a lot of other things going on. And if you want to talk about those right now, this is the time. Uh, but also we'll get links to all of your stuff and make sure that that's Great. in the notes. Yeah. So uh, if you're interested in, in Can Every School Succeed, uh, that is available on Amazon and uh, Barnes and Noble. Um, those can be uh, downloaded as a Kindle uh, or you can grab a, a paperback or a hard copy. Uh, so that book is available now. Um, my new book, Advice from the Principal's Desk. Um, is being uh, published by Jossie Bass. It will be released actually a year from now. So we're still we're still writing it. Um, but you can go again, go to uh, principalsdesk.org and you can find out more information about the book. Um, you can find more information again about, um, uh, we have a weekly newsletter subscription. We have, again, professional development services around PLCs. Uh, we also do um, some uh, PD around first year principals. Uh, so as you make that transition out, we can always, you know, be supportive of you as you navigate that first year journey as a principal. Um, but uh, check us out. And again, reach out if there's anything that uh, we can do for you uh, in the future in your journey. We're a community. We're all here for each other. Excellent. David, thanks so much. This has been great fun. Thanks for sharing Thank today. You. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and rate this podcast. It really does help people find the show. I'm always trying to improve the show. So if you have feedback for me, please email me at frederick at frederickbuskey.com. If you'd like more content tailored towards the needs of assistant principals, you can head over to my website at frederickbuskey.com. That wraps up today's show. I am Frederick Buskey, and I hope you'll join me next time for the assistant principal podcast. Cheers.